You are listening to Prophet Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson, exploring biblical prophecy for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Previously on Prophet Pearls, an American-Israeli Jew in Texas met an African-American Methodist in China on the common ground of the ancient Hebrew prophets. Their internet did not work. The end. Okay, and, I'm, and now you promised me. Now this is the last introduction you're going to do until what? we're face to face. No, you don't know what I want to do, and I controlled myself. <laughs> well, we're Wait, profit so, bros. So this might be the last episode we do before we before we both meet each other on the physical common ground of the prophets in in Jerusalem, Israel. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to be in the land of Israel, and I, I'll tell you something. I'm so inspired about it. Uh, for those who don't know, we have been in what we call a, a hand-to-hand combat with technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, international struggles, internet issues, uh, phone issues, and we're going to try to get through this one today. And I have to just say ahead of time, I'd like for everyone that's listening, it's the end of February. It's about to be March. The plan is that we're going to be flying from different parts of the world, meeting in the land of Israel to be face-to-face again. As we started, the way we started, we were face-to-face for, I think, almost 10 episodes. 11. We then – are you there? Yeah, it was 11 episodes. (laughs) Oh, don't, I thought you said hello. I'm no. so sensitive. <laughs> You're traumatized no, so, by the internet. So no, we're really we're really struggling with this, and and I wanted to say ahead of time to the folks that have uh, partnered with us, we're so appreciative of everything yeah. that you've done. Our, our original plan was you know week by week, and of course we've had to increase uh, our recordings, and we'll be we'll be sending something out. Obviously, by the time you get this, you'll already hear about the fact that we're asking you for any comments that you have. But here's something I want to say to those that are listening. Both our partners and others, that both of us at bfainternational.com and nehemiaswall.com, you'll have the ability to leave comments. And those comments are not just, you know, so we can say we had comments, but they're really for interaction. We want people to be able to read it with us, to respond, to give us their insights, their thoughts, their questions. Uh, and don't, you know, don't don't be overwhelmed. Though hundreds and hundreds of people are reading it, it's the chance to be able to uh, interact with the community. So we really want people to do that. Are you there? Nehemiah? Yes. Wait, hold. What? You're listening to the recording. Wait, because I'm not sure it's been recording. You're cute. Okay. Do you want to tell me that? No, no, no. no. So now I think it is recording. <laughs> I just had to be sure. I'm so nervous. <laughs> We've got cut off so many times. <laughs> okay, so as I, as I mentioned, comments are very, very are precious to us. They're, they're pearls. Uh, they're community comments, so we want you to, to make those comments. And look, work with us on this last little recording from different parts of the world. But uh, it's it's we're going to try to get through this. Ezekiel Nehemiah. Well, so so what you're really saying is that people are actually diving down into the ocean of Torah with us, an open ocean of Scripture, by leaving comments on the pages, and those are pearls as well. Absolutely, we don't have all wow. the pearls. I mean, we don't have the exclusive uh, monopoly on the pearls. No, absolutely not. In fact, we Hallelujah. really need people, especially in this next oh, few weeks. We're going to Nehemiah's uh, Leave your yep. comments. You, you bet. Yep, absolutely. Leave your comments. So, Nehemiah, real quick before yeah. we get into this, uh, before we get into this scripture, uh, tell me where you are right now. Where, so where, I am. I mean, I want I'm, you to project. Yeah. No, no. I want what? you to project oh. yourself into the end of February. Oh, where, where I am be. at the end of February. So I think. Let's see. Well, this. Is, so let's just look at what we're doing today. What we're doing is. 
Um, the section on, uh, blah, blah, okay, it's the Torah portion of Tetzaveh, which is Exodus 27:20 through 30, verse 10, and the parallel portion that we're doing now is Ezekiel 43, verses 10 to 27. It, it, it's going to be read in the synagogues on February 28, 2015. At this point, I'm actually already going to be in Israel waiting for you. Um, you may actually even be on an airplane at this point. I'm not sure or you, you'll be boarding the airplane maybe uh, in the evening this day. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'll already be in Israel getting things ready, um, preparing your room where you're going to be staying, make sure the cats are comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke, folks. <laughs> so, Nehemiah, so, so you're, you're going to be in Israel. And, uh, and so what is it like for you when you're not in Israel? How, how is that for you? Like, I mean, I just, I'm just asking you this. I mean, we're about to get into the scripture. Yeah. But for you to go back to Israel, so, I mean, you know, you've been away from Israel for oh, how long? Every time I land at, you know, Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, I feel like I'm, I'm you know, fulfilling the prophecy of the ingathering of the exiles. I really do. I'm, I'm you know, I, it, it really is an amazing feeling. And, and as I'm out here in, in Texas and in other places, I really do feel the, the, you know, in a way I feel a connection with my ancestors who wandered the globe for 2,000 years. I'm the wandering Jew. Um, the other day somebody asked me, where do you live? And, and I don't know how to answer that question because I don't live anywhere right now. Um, mm. So, and it really is, it, it's a spiritual experience as well to be wandering, um, you know, in that sense. Um, and all of us, in a sense, are wandering in life through through this you know mm-hmm. desert of of this um, spiritual exile as we are waiting for the Messiah to come, or some of us are, are waiting for the Messiah to return and and make the world mm-hmm. right and end war and 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 uh, you know bring bring peace to the world and and you know mm-hmm. so so in a sense it's like it's a microcosm my my experience now of of the of the history of Israel of two thousand years that's how I look at it. You know, it's. I will tell you, I, I I've been to Israel enough times now, especially since uh, you and I hooked up in two thousand two. From two thousand two until now, I can't. I can now. I now can't count how many times I've been there. And in, in some in some situations, I've been there twice or three times, as many as three times, in one calendar year. And and I have to say, it's becoming something that is. Um, it never. It never gets old. It's, it never gets stale. Okay. It never gets. Oh, oh boy, I got to go to Israel. I, I just feel like I'm. I'm just one of the um, most. Uh, favored people and to be able to get on an airplane and to know I was planning to be there for the tour which we now are on our third tour with BFA International we're on our third tour to Israel but to but to have the opportunity to be there two weeks early I really am looking forward to it and I believe based on this date that within about 24 hours I'll be boarding yeah. a plane in Shanghai traveling through wow. uh, Shangkong Hong Kong Shandang. and then getting oh, yeah yeah uh, getting over to uh, to Israel and then we'll be getting right into the scripture but the d- yeah. today's scripture is uh, Ezekiel 43, one well, of my favorite I, I, I books. i got to stop you because you made a really okay. profound statement. You don't even realize it, or maybe you do. Mm-hmm. You said about Israel, it never gets old. And, and isn't mm-hmm. that an amazing picture? Israel is an old land. It's an ancient land. You know, there's people living mm-hmm. in Jerusalem whose house was built in the 1200s, and that's not even considered an ancient building. That's, you know, <laughs> I mean, think no. about that. Um, you know, I'll meet Americans who have a house that's 50 years old, and they're like, oh, a house is so old. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, well, so, 100 and, is a big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, and, and that's kind of like a picture of Israel, you know, uh, when, when – um, uh, Herzl wanted to um, inspire the Jews to return to their land. 
he he wrote a book called Alt Neuland, which was in German, and it translates as Old New Land. And when they translated that book into Hebrew, they said, how do we translate this concept of an old new land? Meaning the land is old, but it's also new. And that's the power of the land, that it's both old and new. You know, Israel is some of the most cutting-edge innovation in the world. There's more mm-hmm. high-tech startups in Israel, a country of, of 7 million people, than there are in the United States, a country of over 300 million people. Um, mm-hmm. It really like, is a guy who wrote a book, Startup Nation, about it. It's it's an amazing country, both for its antiquity, its ancientness, its oldness, and for its newness. And um, and that really is a picture of Israel, this this old new land. And so when they translated this book of Herzl's in, into Hebrew, uh, Alt Neuland, they translated it as Tel Aviv, because Tel mm-hmm. is the mound of an ancient city. Um, and Aviv is the new ripening barley. It's the new grain. And, and it's that contrast. That's actually a, na- a place name in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, called Tel Aviv. And so they translated mm-hmm. Alt-Neuland as Tel Aviv. And I think that's appropriate because as this is coming out in February, the reason I'm coming to Israel in addition to uh, doing this program with you, um, uh, the, the main reason I'm going to Israel is actually for what we call the Aviv search. And that's where mm-hmm. we scour the land of Israel, searching for the new barley, for the new ripening grain, which marks the beginning of the year. And, you know, my ancestors, for 2,000 years, um, less than 2,000 years, for 1,600 years, they talked about how when they returned to the land, when they were brought back, when they would be brought back to the land of Israel, gathered back in the ingathering by the King Messiah, that they would restore the biblical calendar. You know, in 359 A.D., Hill II established the calendar that's used by most Jews today. Um, it's the 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 rabbinical calendar. Some people just call it the Jewish calendar, but it really, the rabbis themselves say it didn't exist until 359 AD when the Romans abolished the Sanhedrin. And and back then they said, well, as soon as the Messiah comes and defeats the Romans, gathers back in the exile and brings world peace, we'll go back to following the biblical calendar. And, you know, now mm-hmm. we're back in the land and we don't have world peace yet. We're definitely, you know, and, and there's definitely challenges. Um, and, and we see some of those challenges actually in the Aviv search. And one, one of the main areas we go and look for the barley is in uh, the northwestern Negev, which is on the border of Gaza. And, and you know, it, there, there's some risk involved. I've been there when we were had rockets fired on us during the Aviv search, when we had to run into air raid shelters during the Aviv search. But now we've been doing this for over 20 years, going around the land of Israel, looking for the new part. You know, we've got the old, that you see everywhere, and the new, you've got to look for it. And when you find it, that marks the beginning of this of the, of the new Hebrew year, the first new moon after that. And so... Um, you know, this is what's going on right now. It's about to happen. So, so I do want to invite people to go over to NehemiahsWall.com, and you could actually be part of this Aviv search by supporting the efforts mm-hmm. of, of what we're doing. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and make sure to also sign up for my free newsletter so you can get the live updates right from the field as we're driving through these places and looking at the barley. You, you know, we're going to update you on what's going on. So uh, go over to NehemiahsWall.com. So, Nehemiah, Nehemiah yeah. I'm going to do something. This is the this yeah. is our last time before we're together physically. Mm-hmm. I, I want people to be sure that they understand what you just said because you spoke about the significance of Israel. You spoke about yeah. the significance of history yeah. and you talked about what you've been doing now for how many years? How many years have you been looking oh, wow. for so the So people have been doing it since 1988. I got involved in 1992. So I don't know how many years that mm-hmm. is. That's 23 years. 24. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's amazing. So 23 years you've been doing this and you have people from really from different parts of the world who, who actually physically yeah. join you and oh, you yeah. guys, uh, you, so and I've gotten a chance to do it. Yeah. I've been able to do that with you and it really is amazing. In fact, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make an, an offer of something here that related oh. to what you're, what you're talking about. What's that? But let me just say, 
let me just say this um, for people that that really maybe they don't have the ability to to like the people that are coming on the tour BFA tour people that are going to be there with the Aviv search but what you're really offering people is a chance for them to be a part of it and one of the ways that they can be a part of it is to help support it because what people have to realize is it it actually does cost I mean gas costs and renting cars and going from place to place and people around the world are waiting. Hey, what, what time of the year is it? You know, what time is it in the land of Israel? And this is one of the ways that they can be a part of it. So again, they go to NehemiahsWall.com and, and there's information there for how they can, they can support it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, so, so I don't know if people are aware of this, um, but like we have this, we have this image in Judaism of Issachar and Zebulun, those two brothers and um, Issachar, his name, Issachar, means there is reward. And the, and, and the traditional understanding is that Zvulun or Zebulun, that he would actually go out and he would work and he would raise the resources for Issachar, for Issachar, to then um, to then study Torah and to uh, be in, and live the Torah and and and. and make the Torah live so that other people could mm-hmm. live it as well. In other words, Issachar was in ministry and Zebulun worked. He, he didn't have the, you know, the aptitude or the time or the capacity to do what Issachar did. And frankly, Issachar didn't have the aptitude, time or capacity to do what Zebulun did. But together they had this symbiosis where one of them devoted himself to Torah and the other one devoted himself to, to uh, earning a living so he could support the other one. And so I want to invite nice. people to enter into me with the relationship of Issachar and Zebulun and you will be involved in the Aviv search, even if you're thousands of miles away awesome that's awesome well um we can you know we're, we're going to get into this we're going to get into the scripture but i just want to say right today it's the it's the 28th we'll be together in march it's sometime that we're going to be together one of the things i want to do to to celebrate that time and to help people enjoy the experience is just to make available um the aviv search that you did invite me on where i actually had the camera just going to make it available for free no registration it'll just be on the page we'll talk about it in march but it really is an awesome opportunity for people to physically see uh the process that you go through and for me even though i had been on it before it was just a phenomenal each time it's phenomenal and the things that you uh you know, people learn and the things that you get a chance to see and the places that you get a chance to be so uh once we're physically together remind me i'm going to try to remember <laughs> to do this because i'd love for people to see uh, exactly what it is that you yeah. did and and that was really an honor to do that so so this is a program we'll that they can, that, like a video they can see mm-hmm. just to be clear on bfainternational.com right Yep, they're going to make a video available on the it's on the ninth uh, month, uh, searching for the Aviv, and it's called Biblical Time. And again, I won't bore you guys with it right now, but I am going to just make that offer right while while the internet's still working. So <laughs> when I physically get there, we'll push some buttons and have some people make it available so people can see exactly what you're doing. And I think that's going to be a way for to, for people to to want to enter in. I really I really want to strongly encourage people to support this process because as people are looking for what time it is, uh, this is a this is a very practical way. Um, for us to actually know what time it is according to scripture. So anyway, let's, uh, let's get right into Ezekiel. Hopefully we will be able to get in, uh, this, this without the stopping six or seven times. And I hate to complain folks, but it's been a challenge. <laughs> and, uh, this is, oh, like I said, our last one before physically being together. So we're, we're yeah. starting in verse 10. I want to make sure that that's the verse that you have in the Hebrew Bible. I've got my Hebrew Bible open, yeah. my, my NIV open. I've got a number of other things here. But I realized the last time, one of the reasons that we had a challenge is that I clicked one of my computer issues, and when that program came up, it cut off, so I won't be able to do that. So you're going to have to really uh, so have your fingers working today. Because <laughs> you're talking on the computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, um, but we're at Ezekiel 40. Um, uh, we're at Ezekiel, let me just get here. Ezekiel 43, chapter 10, 
uh, chapter 43, verses 10 through 27. Yeah. Are those the verses that you're looking at in your Bible? Same verses. Awesome. And in the English Bible, well, actually, it's starting in verse 10. Well, actually, come to think 10. of it, I don't know that they're the same verses. I'm just looking at the Hebrew. I've got exactly. to compare it to the English. Oh, yeah, it looks like it's the same exactly. verse as the English. <laughs> yes, it is. I've already, I've already compared. The verses are the verses I'm looking at. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what you're so, looking at. So this is what we are. And before we get started, yeah. again, I just want to say thanks to Dwayne, Jenny, and Callie uh, that are helping thanks, us at Profit uh, Pro Partners. Uh, I want to ask them to uh, – I sent, the, sent a note to them, but I'd like to ask them to, uh, to have their comments ready and to make them available on HemiasWall.com, BFAInternational.com to join in with the other people that are helping us dive for these precious pearls in the profits. So – Nehemiah, can we can we get started yeah. with the, with the I gotta Go start ahead, right ahead. away. I just gotta ask a question right off the top. When you see verse ten, mm-hmm. the first word, I'm looking here in my Hebrew Bible, yeah. it says here, Ata Ven Adam, yeah. and when you see in English it says son of man. Yeah. What's the first image that you get when you hear that? Son of man. I mean the first yeah. image I get that is he's a human being, that he's because in Hebrew it's Ben Adam, the son of Adam. Um Yehovah mm-hmm. is this immortal divine being and he's speaking to this mortal being so who he then refers to as son of adam like that i don't know what else would you get from it no 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 i'm just asking yeah. you so I, when that, you see that's that, what you it can... sounds like to me that is god speaking to a mortal human being and so for example if you look for example in the jps they'll translate it uh now you O mortal describe the temple to the house of israel so they, they translate it that i mean that Isn't jewish that... understanding is ben adam is simply mortal flesh and blood human being okay yeah so it, it... Yeah. Should we anyway, make that the word I, of the week? I, I, well, I can't it's, be it's, the word of the week. We'll get to the word I, I, of the week. Well, no, it can't be the word of the week. We got some, we some more things I got the here. Word of the week. But then it, it says to him, and, and yeah. yeah, good, you got the word of the week. You got yeah. the introduction. <laughs> it's your last introduction for a while. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, so Space, it says describe the, the temple. Yeah, let's, let's ask this question. So, so again, when you see Isaiah, or when you see Exodus chapter 27, Exodus 20 27. to 30, verse 10. Yep, twenty-seven, twenty through thirty, verse ten, and then Ezekiel forty-three, ten through twenty-seven. Yeah, there's an obvious connection. What is right. it for you? When well, you're, when so you're, so it's the tabernacle we, in um in uh where is that in, in Exodus, and here it's the the building of what we refer to in Judaism as the third temple. You know, we had the first temple under mm-hmm. Solomon, the second temple under Zerubbabel, who or Zerubbabel in English, who then was it was then you know renovated by uh, Herod. But then the third temple, the final temple, will be built by the King Messiah, um, and that's the one described in the book of Ezekiel, the one that we're looking forward to in the future. That, that's you know, how I understand it. And we, we, uh, we, we did something, for those who don't know, we've yeah. been talking about this, and we've been talking about it a little bit more in this week especially. In fact, this week, uh, as you're listening to this, this particular um, this recording, we've got a little something that we're going to put a little spice out there uh, to show the picture of what Nehemiah and I actually did in the past – but what we're doing now, coming together, we've taken a, a combination between trains, planes, automobiles, automobiles, and even motorcycles. <laughs> we've been on to be able to get together, and so yeah. getting together because it reminds us of the original Torah pearls that we did, where we actually discussed this section in depth. So, oh, did you we, can again we talked about? Hemiswell. Oh, you mean the Exodus section we talked about? Yeah, yeah, the Exodus in the original section. Torah pearls. And, uh, yeah, yeah, bfainternational.com, where we did the original Torah pearls. For those that don't know, we haven't said this for a long time. Yeah. We originally did a show yeah. together in two, and I never can remember the year. Was it 2011 to 2012? I, or? I think it was 11 and 12, yeah. I think so. So we did that for 52 sessions. Well, it had to be those because, are now because the last ones, yeah, no, it was definitely 2011, 2012. 
Okay, so awesome. It was a full year of doing uh, the, the, the Torah portions, and then we call that the original Torah uh, pearls. And that, like I said, that, that's available right now from on both sites. And what's nice about that is you can listen to what we're talking about now. You can stop this recording if you want to. Go and listen to what we were talking about in Exodus. And then what's great about this, what I love about this and why we tried to do this before and we were stopped in our tracks, it's a beautiful picture. It's like you have the Torah portion you listen to it, you read it, you go through that section, and then you hop on over to uh, Prophet Pearls and where you're able to hear it, and then you kind of got the whole role. It kind of reminds me of Can Ezekiel, I say something you know, really eat. controversial, or should we just move on? Oh, boy. Okay, I don't know if we should edit it. I'll go ahead and say it. I mean, well, so, so you know, we did the original Torah Pearls, and it was in the spirit of common ground. And then as we were beginning to do Prophet Pearls, you know, I had some issues in my life, and that was one issue. But then there were some other things as well where that common ground um, – began to be shaky and that's why we've kind of done something you know continued a little bit differently than the original prophet pearls uh, the original Torah. and pearls. you're telling me that's controversial well, and, that's and, as, and we that's say in hebrew Yavin, the the wise shall understand <laughs> well it's not controversial okay. uh, what i'm well, going to say is that it yeah. really was it was a joy to to do uh, Torah pearls, and I stand on what we did. Absolutely. And I think my point is is that the Torah pearls program, which is now um, at this point, I, it, it, you know, it like I say, that stands in history as an opportunity where we came together in a spirit of really seeking to find out where we had common ground, yeah. and again to do this program right now um, is is in that same spirit. Amen. So. I just have to say again, you know, what's, you know, as, as I said, we're in the end of February. As the people are listening to this, the next couple of weeks are going to be really special. And, uh, yeah. and what we're, and, it's going to be, uh, just to be clear, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Just to be clear, we're talking about the original. Yeah. It's going to be a challenge. We're going to be together. I was involved and you were involved. Um, what other people are doing has nothing to do with us. So there are other th- people doing something or there's other things that people are calling Torah pearls that, um, really aren't in the spirit of what we did. Um, and you know, it's just really a different spirit. It's just, you know, it's definitely not Torah pearls in the authentic sense of what we did. And frankly, I don't know why they're calling it that. It's a Um, brand name mix up. (laughs) Um, I I think there's maybe some, well, I, I I shouldn't say anymore, but yeah, there's, yeah, let's just focus on, you know, yeah. Okay. Right. Let's focus well, on the common ground and, and leave the um, you know those who want to uh, burn bridges to a different you know. Very good. Okay, yeah. now that was controversial. Was that it? was controversial. <laughs> yeah, that was Let's really move on before it gets too late. <laughs> Let's. You, otherwise, I'll. You, you, you another paragraph and it's over <laughs> all right so let's let's jump into this because yeah. um because he's, he's, he's speaking here to them you know again here's the mishkan we've got the temple we've got ezekiel yeah. what's going to come forward we've talked about this before even in the last week's uh, uh session we we uh last week's um, discussion we talked about you know the 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 size of the temple and measurements and all those sort of things but what i think is interesting is says and it, it, it says here uh let them consider the plan well, let me back up. Describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Now, I want to ask a question. So in English, when we say describe the temple, it just seems to me that it, it, it you know, when he says describe the temple, it just kind of seems when you say the temple, yeah. temple kind of could mean anything. At least, I don't how know how, how to say this. 
What do you well, mean? when I, I use the word temple, because meaning the temple, there are well, many. So in temples. English, we'd say temple with a yes. capital T. It's the Jerusalem mm-hmm. temple. You know, in Hebrew, we'd say Beit Hamikdash. Although in this verse, it just says Habayit, the house. But everyone knows in this and context what, what house we're to. talking about. This is the. I, I wanted to get to yeah. that part. Well, I love the way that it describes the temple, Habayit, yeah. the yeah. house. And what's the house for? He built the house, is what it said last time when you went to Chronicles. He built the house for the name, and 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 it goes on. To, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. It, house is so descriptive to me. What do you have at a house? The house is there for something. It temp- the temple of this and the temple of that, and the temple of this and and the temple of that, and the masons have temples and all this. But the temple or the house, you know, there's there's only one of those. So something so, you might not be yeah. aware of in, in 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 the Jewish world, there's a huge controversy. One of the biggest controversies, probably of the 20th century or the 19th century, but still raging today, is that the uh, Orthodox and um, conservative Jews. Um, they refer to their uh, synagogues in Hebrew as, you know, Beit Knesset. In English, they call it uh, synagogue, which is a Greek word that means to gather together. And, and the Hebrew Beit Knesset is the house of gathering. Um, mm. But the Reformed Jews, um, who started out in the 1800s, they called their synagogues temple. So you'll have, you know, I don't know, temple this and te- temple Emmanuel or whatever. Um and why do they call it temple? Because in their theology and their ideology, the temple of Ezekiel will never be built. Um, they say that this is just some kind of a fantasy that the prophet had, and it's not actually something that's going to be built in the future because that would indicate that what we're doing today is deficient, is not um, is not ideal. It's that it's exilic, and 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 there's this idea of negation of the diaspora, negation of the exile, which meaning that we say. The exile is not not the perfect situation, and they can't accept that, the Reformed Jews. They say, no, that, that's just some ancient fantasy. We're, the way we're living today, this is how it's supposed to be, and the temple is wherever we build a temple. Um, so that's actually mm-hmm. a really big country. And, and it actually helps me understand what it says here. Now you, O son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel and let them measure its design, but let them be ashamed of their iniquities. Mm-hmm. So what's the shame? So- the shame is that this temple hasn't been built yet. Mm. And it's because boy, of our boy, you just really no, no. That's you know. I have to tell the folks we've been in a number of places. We've actually spoken together in uh, synagogues. We've spoken together in churches. We've spoken together in fellowships. We've spoken together on the field under tents, trains, planes. <laughs> but one of the places that we went was uh, that I still can never quite was able to deal with. Is we went to a reform uh, synagogue. Right. <laughs> Well, and they'll say it's a synagogue, but the name of it will be called no. Temple whatever, and I don't even remember the name uh, of that. Whatever temple. it was, it was Temple yeah. something, and we're going to have yeah. a Torah study. The problem was I couldn't be in the inner circle. I had to sit on the yep. outside of the circle, and you got a chance. Oh, you're talking because you're the, you're, oh, you're, you're talking you're about that one. Okay. No, I'm going to tell you what happened. So we you sat in there, and, and we're going to have a Torah study. So I'm sitting on the outside with someone, and you're sitting on the inside with the with the, with the rabbi who happened to be a, a, a lady, if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different she, story. Okay. And, and and they opened up and you opened up the Torah. Mm-hmm. And started talking, and I think within the first five minutes, something came up about Moses. <laughs> Do you remember this conversation? Well, yeah, so, so, so just to be clear, we spoke at a Reformed temple um, in the Atlanta area. That's not what we're talking about. You know, we love those people. No. Um, we're still in yes. touch with, with the cantor there. Um, he's a great guy. Um, hey, Mark. Awesome. And um, so anyway, no, but you're talking about a different situation in a different state where yep. we mm-hmm. – okay. And so, yeah, the reform rabbi at that other temple asked me, so, you know, and she was trying to explain to her, her congregants, you know, what the difference between reform and Karaites are. 
Because, you know, you might look at them and say, well, wait a minute, they both reject the authority of the rabbis. They're not that different. Um, and so she asked me to, exp- for the purpose of explaining to her congregants, she said, what do you, you know, how, how do you understand the Torah? What do you understand it to be? And I said, I believe it's the perfect word of God revealed through Moses. And the reform rabbi's response was, see, that's where we differ. I'm not sure. For me, the jury is still out about whether Moses existed or not. And, you know, and, and that's and, what I wanted. Right. To and up. that was her, her, she brought this up. I wasn't trying to be controversial. I was a guest in her house. I don't want to argue. But you ask me a question. I'm going to tell you the answer. Um, so yeah, to me, there's no question that Moses existed no question that he wrote the Torah and, um, it's the basis of the entire history of Israel. And so we're not in a good place now as a people, as a, as a world, we're not in it. We're in a fallen world. We live in a world of exile. You know, Jews have their physical exile, but the whole world is an exile because we're waiting for the, the Messiah to come and reign as a flesh and blood King over Israel to bring peace to the world, to gather in the exiles, to end war, to end starvation, um, and and so we, as long as this temple, it's it's like this temple here that's being described in Ezekiel forty three and in the following chapters, in a way is almost taunting us, saying this is what you could have if you would just repent, and that's why I think it mm-hmm. says, but let them be ashamed of their iniquities. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely the case. Yep. I mean, look at if you look at what's happening right now, and the, and the people that are calling for for that that change of heart and change of action and change of venue and, and all of that. I mean, I think there are a lot of issues that we could talk about regarding this, and we have discussed them. Maybe we'll be able to discuss yeah, well, them and, more. And, and, and just to be clear, what I'm saying, if you look in the Torah, especially Deuteronomy 4 and, and other places, uh, Deuteronomy emphasizes this, but it's really a central message in the Hebrew Scriptures, which is that um, – what needs to be, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are calculating the times. They know the day and the hour, the exact year, based on certain things that are going to happen. And they'll tell you it's May 21st, 2012, and there's a big billboard here in Texas that says it's like, you know, sometime in, I don't know, 2017 or something like that, or 2027. Um, and the Jewish perspective is completely different. Our understanding, based on the Torah, based on the Hebrew scriptures, is that God's just waiting for us to repent. And this mm-hmm. temple will not be built. We can't force it. What we have to do is repent, and when we repent, then he'll come and let it happen. But until then, um, we should just be ashamed that it's not built. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, it says, it, and it gives the design, talks about the regulations, the, the you know, write these down before them so that they may be faithful to this design and follow all of its regulations. Yes. And then verse 12. Is it, is it, can uh, I just say, isn't it interesting that... When Zerubbabel bent, built his temple, he didn't even attempt to follow these regulations. Mm. Meaning he knew his temple was not the temple promised in Ezekiel. He knew mm-hmm. that. And how did he know that? Mm-hmm. Because they didn't have the high priest with the Urim and Tumim. They didn't have, you know, they, they didn't have the fire come down from heaven and consume the sacrifice. He knew. Mm-hmm. He knew that mm-hmm. that wouldn't mm-hmm. be the final one. Mm-hmm. Well, then it gets in verse 12. It says that this is the law of the temple. Or the, uh, if I can say... Um, yeah. Uh, this is the Torah, uh, the Torah, the Torah of the Bayit, of the Bayit, of the house. And then it says here, upon, and now I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at two things, so bear with me here, Nehemiah. I'm looking at two things. It says, all the surrounding area on top of the mountain. And I just I just have to say this because I like this kind of thing. In the Hebrew Bible, when it has like words together, it says, Saviv, Saviv, Kodesh, 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 Kodesh. 
Saviv, Saviv, Kadosh, Kadoshim. And it's like you get this, I don't know what it is about the, about the, the Hebrew Bible, but you, you have these phrases and when they come up, they, I don't know what it is. It kind of like jumps off the page. Yeah. Maybe because the words are the same or because, you know, whatever it is that's happening. But the thing that hits me is it says that all of the surrounding area, mm-hmm. Saviv, Saviv, on top of the mountain, right. Well, so, so on top of the mountain is very misleading. In Hebrew, it says yeah. al rosh hahar, which means uh, yeah. the the top top, the peak of the mountain. The top and, of the mountain. And, and we actually talked last week about you know there's the theory now that the temple, the original temple wasn't uh, at at the um, you know what today is called the Temple Mount. Come on, come on, come on. Come that it was this. that was down the hill uh, in uh, above the Gihon Spring. That doesn't fit here at all. It says al rosh hahar on the top of the mountain, on the peak of the mountain. And that is what we call today the Temple Mount. It's not something downhill. You know what? There it is. David had his palace downhill, but above his That's palace, right. that was the temple. And he would look up at that tent, and he, he would look up from his palace at the tent, and he could see there was the tent, and and inside the tent was the Ark of the Covenant, where later um, – you know, later Solomon built the temple on the place of the uh, of, of the threshing floor of Ar- Aravna, the Jebusite. Why would yes. the Jebusite uh, Aravna have have a threshing floor in the middle of the city next to the royal palace? It makes no sense. You have the threshing floor outside the city, um, next to the fields where you can bring your grain and, and get all the chaff to blow away, and it just doesn't fit. And you mm-hmm. also have it on top of the hill. It makes a lot of sense because then the wind comes and blows away the chaff and keeps the seed. And isn't that a prophetic mm-hmm. picture? Can I get an amen? Isn't that a prophetic picture? And so you know, you 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 read this, and you know, this is just another example. Again, this amazing of the whole of Scripture, because if you just take one section and you look at one section and you say, okay, this is going to be my study, this one little section, and I'm not going to look at anything else. And I'm going to understand all the depth and all the issues regarding this one little section, but you don't put it in context. Then something like this doesn't get a chance to come in and and bring an aspect that, you know, you just answered something that we didn't talk about last week. You didn't talk about last week about the, you know, this, this description. Well, you mean I was talking about it when you were cut off. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you probably (laughs) were because I didn't listen and I'm not going to listen. I'm protesting last week. Anyway, um, okay, but then it gets to this, and these are the measurements. Now, what I like about this is that, you know, I mentioned mentioned last week, before I got cut off, that that there is this, I think it was last week, this discussion about what the measurements of the the Mishkan were, what the measurements were of Solomon's temple. But then we get to Ezekiel, and now we're, we're talking about the specific measurements. Now, it might be an obvious thing to you. It's obvious why this is the case. But when you get these measurements, what is the reason for the measurements? I think it's because this is what they have to build. Right, as opposed to what? <laughs> no, this like, is my point. Like, I don't when understand. At, no, no. And as a, of course, you, say, you say it's an obvious issue. No, because what people will do yeah. is they'll say, okay, we're going to get into the issue of what the measurements were, not for the purpose of the measurements, oh. because there's some hidden meaning. There's some deep, you know, hidden meaning to what the measurements are versus what the purpose of the measurements are. You know are. what this it's reminds like, me of? It's like, <laughs> So, so in archaeology, they, they um, excavated and they found um, remains of King David's palace, and it's yes, in, in the city of David, and it's called the stepstone structure. I, I studied about it in Hebrew yes. University of Jerusalem during my bachelor's degree, and the, and the, and the area where they found it, all the tour guides point out that this is called Area G. That's what the archaeologists dubbed this area, Area G. And they'll start to give you reasons of why it's called G. This is where God was detected. And, you know, they'll come up really with all kinds of, like, explanations of G. 
And, and we used to laugh about this in archaeology class because why is it called Area G? What archaeologists do is they break up the site, the archaeological site, into A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, into squares of five meters by five meters. And it happens to be in the five by five meter square where they found, uh, you know, the, the stepstone structure, the, the, the ruins of, of or part of David's palace that that was G. They found other things at F, and they found other things at H. <laughs> so it's like spiritual <laughs> significance of of um of it being called G, and, and and maybe that's the case here. You know, we've got these measurements, and it's four cubits, and it's this number of cubits, and and it, I guess you could come along and say, why is it four cubits? Because the Hebrew letter Dalit is the fourth letter of the alphabet, representing the number four, and that's the Dalit, the door to understanding. And look. Let but me maybe it's four cubits because in. God didn't want it to Look, be five cubits or three cubits. <laughs> like, come on. But sometimes – no, th- th- let me just say this. And yeah. Look, there's enough depth for when there is depth. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. Just absolutely amazing. Right. I mean, you know, you could you say, in, you know, Noah's Ark. What, what was the spiritual meaning of Noah's Ark? Right. He says, look, this is, is going to be the boat. This is going to be the measurements of the boat because I'm telling you how to build the boat. Right. Or there's other times you see something like, wow, that really is amazing that's right there. Right. When it's not there, you, you ask yourself, so what's the purpose? Right. And what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. is kind of take a step back right. after talking about what – And look, I, if the I, number was 7 guy. or 70 or 777, then we'd have something to talk about. <laughs> but like it's 4 cubits and 2 cubits and 40 cubits. Like I don't know. Okay. So so we have this section about he's talking about the half cubit, the cubit, yeah. you know, we, we all of this. And I have to just say again, and I hate to say this. But I'm very nervous. <laughs> I'm very nervous because nervous if this about? gets cut off two or three times, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue. No, we, so we're talking about the cubits. We're talking about the, Why the, the are you measurements. Speaking this negativity, then, speak, speak the positive. No, no, no. Name no, it no, and no, proclaim no, it, okay, Then, so then no, let me, let me say verse 18. 18? What are you talking about? What happened to verse 13? I no, want no, to talk no, about. No, I'm trying to get to verse We got to talk about verse 13. We'll do it real quick. So the last three words it says, Zeg Gav Hamizbeach. This is this how is yours yeah. translated? Zegav Hamizbeach in verse thirteen. Do you hear uh, it the says here the, the height of the altar. The height. What's the Hebrew word, Keith? Tell me. Gav. What is Gav? Uh, I have to go to the. I have to go to the end of thirteen. Right. Hold on here. Hold on. Just a second. Yeah. Act like you're typing. <laughs> okay. So what, what do you got there? So, so Gav. What's the Hebrew word for Gav? The Hebrew word Gav means back. So it's like a gav, like a, a elevation. Um, right, but that's not what gav means. Gav literally means back, like the back okay. of your body. And so what's the back okay. of the altar? You know, the altar is kind of like this, almost looks like a lion lying down, you know, crouching. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got this ramp going up to it. So so the back is the is the top flat part, absolutely. But gav literally mm-hmm. means back. And why is that mm-hmm. significant? What? How is gav spelled? Uh, Gimel Beit. Right. Now, how come it's not Gob? How come it's Gov? And and the answer is uh, that the most basic thing you learn in Hebrew, <laughs> like literally in kindergarten I learned this, and when people learn Hebrew, they learn that the letter bet, if it has a dot in it, it's a b. If it doesn't have a dot, it's a v. Now, that, uh-huh. that, that will be surprising to some people because they've been told that there was no v in ancient Hebrew. Obviously, that's not true because uh, ancient Hebrew clearly has the v sound. Where they're getting confused is they're being told that the vav was originally a w. In fact, I just watched a video the other day on YouTube that someone sent me, and he was very upset. He said, you know, I need to understand. Why are you saying Yehovah? Clearly, it's Yehovah. And, and, I, and he shows me this video where the guy says, for certain historical reasons, we know that the Vav was originally a Wuh. And I say, what are those historical reasons? I challenge anyone to show me those historical reasons. I, I, I've looked at all the history of it. That is utterly 
you know, there's there's no no evidence for that. And on the contrary, do you, do you have access to one Kings chapter fourteen verse nine? Are you able to open that up, or will that crash the computer and end the program? I don't want to crash the computer. You can go ahead okay. and turn. I'm going to so I'm going to one turn Kings fourteen oh. nine. The last word in the verse is the word gav, meaning back. And it even says in English, and uh, has cast, cast me behind thy back. And the word for mm-hmm. back there is spelled with a vav. So, mm-hmm. in some places, the word for back spelled with a vav. In other places, the word for back, it's spelled with what we call the soft bet. Now, everybody mm-hmm. agrees in, in, in Jewish sources, all Jews agree that the soft bet is pronounced v. Mm-hmm. Um, why would it sometimes be spelled with the soft bet v and other times with the vav if the vav was pronounced as a w? Because you don't understand, Nehemiah, that when it spells it with the vav, they're actually talking about the back of that which you can't see. This is a hidden meaning. Oh, okay. there's, 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 so we could, we, could actually, we could look at the instances of where gav is spelled with a vav and where it's spelled with a bet, and you'll see actually in Ezekiel itself, he spells it both ways, and it doesn't change the meaning. In both cases, it's the right. back, whether it's the back of an altar, the back of a person, it's a back. Um, and, you know, uh, David uses it speaking about uh, about his back, spelling it with a bet in the Psalms. And, and the point is that... Um, what I'm trying to say here for those who don't know Hebrew, and this might sound a little complicated if you don't know Hebrew, is that the people who told you that the ancient Hebrew didn't have a v sound simply don't know what they're talking about because Hebrew had a soft bet, and that's not disputed by Hebrew scholars. That ancient Hebrew had this v sound for the soft bet, and there are certain words that can be spelled either with a vav or a soft bet without changing the meaning, and that tells me at least some Israelites pronounce the Hebrew letter as vav as a v. The same way they pronounce soft bet. Well, that's golden. Yeah. That might be too complicated if you don't know Hebrew, but, it, you know, mm-hmm. they talk about certain historical reasons. This is a, a text in scripture that shows me clearly that somebody is, they're interchanging soft bet and vav, and they're both pronounced as v. No, I mean, that, that's, I don't know how you can ignore that proof. So anyway, can we jump ahead to verse 15 and talk about the aerial? Okay, let's do it. Okay. So can you read me verse fifteen and verses fifteen and sixteen in your Methodist translation? Yes, it says the altar hearth is four cubits high, and four horns project toward, upward from the uh, the hearth. The altar hearth is um, square, twelve cubits long, and twelve cubits wide. Okay. The upper ledge also okay. is a square, that's, fourteen that's cubits okay. long, and fourteen cubits wide, with the rim of half a cubit. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So the word they're translating is altar hearth, and other tr- other mm-hmm. translations just say altar. Is the word in Hebrew Ariel? Um, mm. uh, in one place it's pronounced Har-El or written Har-El in another place it's Er-El but the word for example here is it says and the Ariel above the, there are four horns and the Ariel etc in verse 16 so Ariel and you completely lose that word in the English that, that's amazing to me that this word that is so significant that's the center of a prophecy it's the central you know concept in a prophecy in, in Isaiah 29 uh, and just to remind you, Isaiah 29 starts out, it says, Hoy Ariel, Ariel, Kiryat Chana David. Woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city where David dwelt. So that's how the prophecy starts out in Isaiah 29. And this Ariel repeats itself. It, it appears again in the prophecy in verse 7. Uh, I think it's verse 7. It's somewhere there. And um, let's see. 
in Isaiah, oh, it's in 29.2, Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow. And then verse 7, And the multitude of all the nations shall fight against Ariel. So three, four times, actually, we have a reference to Ariel. And what is Ariel in that context? It clearly is the city of David. It says that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, what, how does Ariel come to mean the city of David? Ariel literally means the Lion of God. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and specifically, we can see from Ezekiel 43, Ariel refers to the altar. That is the name of the altar, or really, if we want to be technical, it's the title of the altar. Um, mm-hmm. And the, ty- the altar is called Lion of God, and that's why it has a back, as I mentioned, which they translate as height, but the Hebrew literally means a back. So, you know, the Lion of God, and, and here's really interesting. Once you see that, then you start to see other connections with this Ariel. For example, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20, it says, And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, this is talking about the heroes of David, the, the warriors, And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kavzael, who had done many acts, he slew the two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. That's the King James Version. What it actually says in Hebrew is, he slew the two Ariels of Moab. What on earth are the Ariels of Moab? And it's not entirely clear. Uh, Moab, obviously, is the neighbor of Israel. There was some kind of war between Moab and, or we know about the war between Moab and Israel. Uh, Israel won. He slew the two Ariels of Moab, and, and many many scholars say, well, Ariel means Lion of God. So in some contexts, Lion of God refers to the altar. In some contexts, it refers to a, to a, um, a hero meaning the, uh, the, um, the champion, and they bring the example of Goliath, who was the champion of the Philistines, mm-hmm. that the Israelites and the Moabites all had these champions, and, and that was referred to as an Ariel. And that's possible. Um, Isaiah 33, 7 mentions the Ariel as well. It says there, Ariel, Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without, the ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. And it says in Hebrew, Behold, their Ariel shall cry outside. Um, so that may refer to this, um, this, this warrior who was called the Lion of God, uh, and that same word then is applied to the city of Jerusalem and to the altar itself, which is at the heart of mm-hmm. the city of Jerusalem. Um, so you lose all of that when you, when you just translate it as the hearth of the altar or altar. Um, one more uh, passage, which is not in the Tanakh. It's actually in um, the Mesha uh, uh, Steli. There, uh, there was a king of Moab, of the Moabites, called Mesha, Mem Yud Shin Ayin, and Mesha uh, set up a, a large monument which, in which he wrote in Moabite, which is almost identical to Biblical Hebrew, and he describes his victorious war against Israel. It's actually the opening verses of two kings describing the same war. Um, pretty uh-huh. cool. He says, the men of God, that is G-A-D, not G-O-D, <laughs> uh, the tribe of God. Uh-huh. The men of God dwelt in the land of Atarot forever, and the king of Israel built up for himself Atarot. That's a city in Transjordan. I fought against uh-huh. the city. This is Mesha speaking, the king of Moab. I fought against the city and captured it. I killed all the people and offered the city as a sacrifice to Kamosh. That's the god of the Moabites. Imagine that. He's wiping out the city of the Israelites, and he's, and he's killing the people, offering them as a sacrifice to Kamosh. That sounds like some things that are going on today in northern Iraq and in, and in, uh, and in Syria and, and what the Boko Haram are doing in northern Nigeria. They're offering up people as sacrifices to their gods, their, their, their modern-day Moabites. He says, I took captive from there the Ariel of David and dragged it before Kamosh and Kriot. Kriot was one of the cities of, of the Moabites. What on earth is the Ariel of David, the Ariel of David? 
that is being dragged before the the idol of commotion in the in the in the in this Moabite city is that the um the 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 warrior meaning the champion who was you know who went out and and taunted baby the Moabites and he was captured or is it actually the altar that was dragged some kind of movable altar that shouldn't have been there in the first place of a high place and why is it called the Ariel of David? I mean, this this is kind of mysterious. We don't know. Um, we don't know the answer to this. But it's interesting that the two places where we have Ariel uh, in the Tanakh, two of the places, are both in Moabite contexts. One is in this Moabite inscription, and the other is defeating the, the Ariels of the Moabites. And some people have even suggested that Ariel, in the sense of a warrior, actually may be a Moabite word, whereas in Hebrew, Ariel referred to the altar, both of them literally meaning Lion of God. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything on the cubit? Well, and, is it and, the word and that, of the week? Well, no, no. So the word of the week is Ariel. Can, we, can that be the word well, of the week? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Can you explain? Ariel is the word of the week. <laughs> and, um, it, and my sister, by the way, her name is Ariella, which is the feminine of Ariel. Um, mm-hmm. And Ariel is um, – as I said, it's understood to refer to both Jerusalem and the altar. Yours translates it as hearth. That's actually based on Arabic. There's no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Ariel refers to the altar itself um, and the city in which the altar uh, stood. Um, and Ariel is Aleph, Resh, Yud, Aleph, Lamed. And that's simply two words, Ari, Aleph, Resh, Yud, which is lion, and El, which is God or mighty one, um, Aleph, Lamed. There it is. So uh, the mighty one of God, the 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 lion of God, the lion of the mighty one, is Ariel. Um, and I should point out in verse Impressive. fifteen, five, that, five letters, two words, yeah. and we've got Ariel. I like it. There we do. There we got it. And okay. of course, that is also the character. Isn't that the character in um in in like that mermaid movie? Isn't her name Ariel? Nehemiah, you watch those kinds of things. You know I don't watch those. <laughs> no, kinds it's of Disney. Things, okay? You can't watch Disney. <laughs> I know you watch Disney. Um, so, and and I always thought that was funny when I heard that you know this character named Ariel and she's she's the, oh the Little Mermaid it's called, and um and it's a she because Ariel is a masculine word in Hebrew. Ariella is the feminine. Uh, of course, we have Ariel Sharon, the former prime minister. Are you with us? What's going on? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Okay, so let's <laughs> skip ahead. Um, to verse 19. Can you read us verse 19? Wait, actually, let's stop there. I, I got to talk about verse 18. Can you re- please read verse 18? Yeah, so so when I say I'm here and I'm, I'm doing something, that means that you got to keep reading because I'm trying to keep us recorded. <laughs> when I'm back to 18. Then he said to me, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. There will be the regulations for sacrificing bird offerings and sprinkling blood upon the altar when it is built. Okay. So we got to stop for a moment and just raise some questions here. And, and, and I hope you're with us because you're going to need to field this. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, one of the things I've heard from Christians is that Jesus came and he was the final sacrifice. And after that, the sacrificial system has been abolished. And all you have to do is read in the book of Acts and you'll find out that, that Paul was actually involved in a sacrifice in Jerusalem in the temple after the crucifixion. So that doesn't even really fit with the New Testament. Um but how, how in your Methodist church did they explain this passage, that there's going to be sacrifices, burnt offerings, and there's going to be blood? Remember, blood has to do with – the blood is for the atonement. So they're, they're sprinkling blood on the altar in the time of Ezekiel's temple. So how, did, how did, did you guys deal with this in the Methodist church or did you just ignore no, it? No, we didn't deal with this sort of thing, Nehemiah. Okay. So it's really interesting. No, I've, read, I've read about this in, in uh, classical Christian commentaries. 
meaning like you know Augustine and people like that. Um, and they talk about what the Christians call Saint Augustine. And, and their explanation is that, well, this is not to be taken literally. There will never be an altar. In fact, when, when Ezekiel saw this vision, he saw an altar. But what the altar represents is, and, and then he comes up with some explanation, the Catholic Church or the cathedral, and then the sprinkling of the, sprinkling of the blood that represents the Eucharist and the church, you know, drinking of the wine and eating of the, uh, of the wafer. Um, so what they do is they say all, this whole section in Ezekiel, really chapters 40 through 48 of Ezekiel, according to um, Catholic and um, Greek Orthodox traditional Christian commentators in the Christian world, these are all symbols, symbols of things that will uh, take place, as they say, in the life of the church. And it actually isn't meant to be taken literally. And, it's, and, it's, and in this respect, Jews take the Bible literally. We absolutely do. There's obviously metaphors and symbols. But in this case, when Ezekiel describes a temple being built, and he says it's so many cubits this way and so many cubits that way, we literally understand that there will be a temple like this that will be built under the reign of the King Messiah, or in that period some, somehow, and um, that will be the final temple um, during the reign of the King Messiah on earth. So in that respect, you could say Jews are literalists, um, even though obviously the symbols and metaphors that, you know, when he's talking about cubits and things like this, yeah, this is actually a temple that will be built. Mm-hmm. In other words, in other, sort of to back up, yeah. there's no need to, to over the matter that what Ezekiel is seeing is the temple that, that, that will be that will be built that will be there that will physically be there, and that temple w- won't be uh, uh, a temple that doesn't have, but rather that does have the very things that were in the original temple. Meaning the idea of having an altar, having you know, place to well, sacrifice. Well, verse nineteen and those speaks about things, hatat, the sin offering. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there, there will be sin offerings even in this future temple. And look, you you said it, we don't need to um, to to spiritualize it or over spiritualize it. I'm not telling Catholics they shouldn't spiritualize it. I think Catholics do need to spiritualize it because they say sacrifices have been done away with. And so they come to a verse like verse 19 where it speaks about sin offerings, and and they have no choice but to spiritualize it because it contradicts their theology. Um, as a literalist, in, in the respect of I take the Bible at face value – um, I say a sin offering really is a sin offering. I don't. Ha- I don't need a spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't need to spiritualize it. They do. That's my point. You, you know why? We, let me just. I will weigh yeah. in here. The, yeah. the reason that there really doesn't need to be too much of an argument regarding yeah. this is that maybe what you don't realize, Nehemiah, as you say, the Jews take the Bible literally, and the, and the, and the temple that's going to be built, and and Ezekiel, and all. This, I think you're confused. I, I really have to challenge you on yeah. something. I think you're confused. You think that the Catholic Church and even the Methodist Church and, and many of the churches that are, are presently uh, promoting what they're promoting are actually looking at Ezekiel and saying that oh, the so person I, so Ezekiel is that. So let me let me let me finish. Let me finish. So, so, so what I'm saying this. is what, what I'm saying is is yeah. that when you you know it's it's almost easy. It's almost an easy target yeah. because what you find in the Catholic Church, what you find in continuously more and more and more in the Protestant denominations is they're not opening the Bible. They're more like that, the, the, the rabbi at that reform synagogue, if anything, who says, uh, Moses, what are you talking about? Altar? What do you mean? This is just pictures. This is, these are nice things that you use every once in a while. What we're doing right now that I think is so powerful is we're opening up the scripture. We're saying we find common ground in the scriptures, the Holy Bible, the word of God, and we think it's good for yesterday, today, tomorrow. Amen. I wish... Yeah that that was the conversation in the Methodist church. I wish it was. Now, how do we deal with verse 19? Verse 19, we're not even reading verse 19. 
It's not even in the conversation. So my point is, is that what we're trying to do is so different. And especially for you, it's so different because I, I, and I know this is where you'll, hopefully this thing will cut off. What I'm (laughs) continuously frustrated about is that we're not using the scripture as scripture. We're not opening it and asking, what does it mean yesterday, today, and tomorrow? It's not even in the conversation. There's books of discipline. There's the there's the rules and regulations of the Pope. There's the saint statements. There's all this other stuff that's going on. And what I'm trying to do, to be honest with you, is let's have the conversation about Scripture. When a rabbi yeah. says we don't know if Moses exists, or when a preacher says, or a bishop says, or a pope says, well, that we don't even think no. That's or, or a president says, no. but you really want to open the Bible? You want to apply the Bible? The Bible's an old, dusty old book. It's not good for us. I disagree. It is good. And for those that believe it, have to answer the question that you brought up. Do we look at Ezekiel and say this is practical? It's legitimate? It's it's real? Or do we over-spiritualize and say, well... You know, that's not something we're going to deal with. And what you did do, and again, you're, you're the one that's done this throughout Prophet Pearls. I don't know why you do it. Yeah. You continually, you'll bring up something from the New Testament, and it'll be a question. And you're, and you're doing that, and I, and, I, and I appreciate why you're doing it, because you're asking the question, was this something that was meant? That, in other words, sacrifice is continuing. Paul going to the temple. He didn't go to the temple and say, well, it's good there's no sacrifice. He did vows. He he went to the temple for during Shavuot, and he went to the temple, said he had to be in Jerusalem for that time because it was continuing. Mm-hmm. So, and it will you continue know, I get excited about Ezekiel. it. And, and the yeah, reason, I, reason yeah. I do that is that you're being this, <laughs> you're not being a good Methodist. <laughs> So, and, and, I, and I do – I want to respectfully consider this from the different perspectives, and that's why I say I'm not saying the Catholic is wrong from his perspective. The Catholic needs to say this, and he has an internally consistent system of theology. It's just not my system. My system is uh, – And the, what I'm saying yeah. is the Catholic is wrong. Here's well, the problem that I'm having. And you look yeah. – and you know, we're going to get into this. When we're face-to-face, we'll be able to yeah. fight about it more. But here's where I, I, I do say the Catholic has a problem yeah. because either this is the word of God. Yeah. Just yesterday, just yesterday. Well, he's got I'm a problem. The question is how does, he sign, how, does he, how does he solve it? A, a, now and he we're solves talking. it by spiritualizing it. I solve exactly. it by saying it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and I solve it, it by saying let's look and find out what it meant. Yeah. Let's ask what it meant what it means and what it will mean. Amen. And I think we just did that. We yeah. just did Prophet Pearls, the very tagline. Yeah. What was it? What is it and what will it be? Amen. Guess what? There's going to be a temple. And that's why we have my friends. I don't mind saying the name of my friend Yehuda Glick and many people other are desperately they don't they don't they don't only believe it's going to happen they think they can be a part of that temple coming forward now how that happens politically in those issues i'm not going to get into that but the people that believe that, that when we talk about mashiach when messiah yeah. coming and reigning in the earth and people drawing unto the holy hill of god and coming to jerusalem and offering themselves and offer i mean that to me is a powerful powerful picture and you know what May it be in our time. May it be Look, in our generation. You, 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 amen. But you just brought up the um, you know the, the elephant in the room, and the elephant in oh, the room is that your friend yeah. Yehuda Glick was uh, you know shot for for saying that Jews should have the right to pray on the Temple Mount, and um, and he knows what every Jew knows that one day that temple will be rebuilt, and until it's rebuilt, we we don't want to forget about it. Um, we exactly. we want to continue to visit there and and pray there and. Um, and you know, and, and the very reason why um, you know the Catholic Church and the Presbyterian Church, which is involved in the BDS, the you know the, the you know that, that anti-Semitic um, uh, program they have of, of of 
demonizing Israel, how can the, an entire denomination do that? Because in their view, Ezekiel 43, verse 19, is just a picture for the life of the church. It has nothing to do with Israel, nothing to do with the Jews, nothing to do with Jerusalem. These are just pictures in the life of the church. And when you read about Ariel, we're just going to translate it as, I mean, think about that. Why do they translate Ariel as altar? Because they don't want people to know that here Ezekiel in the future is speaking about how this is going to be in Jerusalem. Because you go back to Isaiah 29, and Ariel is Jerusalem. So this isn't just some altar at the front of the church that's going to be a certain size. This is the altar that's going to be in Jerusalem. And that's why this is so significant. This is is why I think we need to understand what the Catholic and the Presbyterian and all those other denominations are thinking. Because I hear about this, and my Jewish brothers and sisters are saying, don't you guys say you believe in the Bible? And it's really easy to say, oh, well, they don't take the Bible seriously. But it's worse than not taking the Bible seriously. What they've done is they've spiritualized it to the point where it no longer means what it literally and originally meant. Mm-hmm. Now, and let me say this. There are many, 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 many people, not only that are listening, but that aren't listening, who come from the same kind of tradition that I, I've come from yeah. that really, really earnestly desire to understand. Now, let me give you an example. And again, yeah. we might be regressing a little bit. I hope not. You know, I'm really glad that you brought this up yeah. with the Ariel because there are so many people in Nehemia that they just want to know. Teach it to me. Show it to me. Let me see it for myself. And they're really um, 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 pro- prohibited from being able to have that interaction because they're not getting a chance to interact with the original language. I mean, look, you, you, you can go to 15 different commentaries and they can tell you this is what the hearth was and, and the altar. But to look at the Hebrew, to see the word, to know the history of the word, the context of the word, the meaning of the word, that's absolutely invaluable to people. And there are many people from my background that desire that. They just haven't had the access to it. So that's why for me, yeah. you know, sometimes I get a little quiet. Sometimes I go, oh, the Christians think that. Did I? You know what I really want to know? What I want to really know, and I think a lot of people want to know, what did it mean? What does it mean? And what will it mean? And I, I can throw the Methodists under the bus and I can back that bus up three or four different times. But if we're not even having a dialogue about whether this is the word of God, there's nothing to have. A, there's no debate. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if, if the debate was, this is the word of God, we believe it to be the word of God. Now, what does it mean? Oh, my gosh. This is the day I wait for. Yeah. This is the day I wait for. And unfortunately, that's not the case. It's very, very hard for me to even even to get into that. So, I mean, I appreciate you bringing it up. It's just it's just, it's a really difficult conversation for me. And, and I guess that's what's going to be nice about when we're together, because then you can kind of feel it. Uh, these, you know, these kinds of conversations where the word Ariel, like, why do we even care about that? Who cares about that verse? Who cares about that chapter? Who cares about that book? Who cares about that prophet? Just give us the end of the story. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Let's, uh, no, let's, uh, so, let's so move on. We, let's do a quick excursus of verse 19 and then, and then set the people free, I think, uh, or give them, okay, give them homework. Um, and I'll tell you yeah. right now, you've got a lot of homework, verses 20 through 27. I want you to look at. Um, the sin offerings and the altar and 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 the bulls and the okay, but let's we got to just say one. I I got one more thing to talk about in verse nineteen, and then if you have anything else, obviously you know share. But we've got mm-hmm. this statement. It says, "And you shall give to the Kohanim Halavim, the Levitical priests who are from the seed of Zadok of Tzadok, who are who are close to me," says Lord Jehovah, "to serve me." Um, so who are these seed of Zadok? Who are these guys? And mm-hmm. so to understand that, we've We've got to go back to um, to 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 17, where it talks about in the time of David, there were two high priests. There was Zadok, mm-hmm. the son of Ahituv, and there was Eviatar, the son of Ahimelech. 
And um, it even goes back uh, further where Eviatar we, we first hear about. Um, he was one of the survivors of the massacre of Nov, which was the city of the priests. who was, They were wiped out by Saul's uh, general, Doeg the uh, Edomite. And... Um, and so his grand he, he was a descendant of of Eli who or Eli who was the priest in Shiloh um and they his family ended up in Nov um and uh so we have here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 7 that that um when Adoniahu and I think we read that section so Adoniahu tries to rebel against Solomon and, or against David really and make himself king and so he invites invites Eviatar to be his high priest you know if you want to be legitimate you've got to have you got to have the general and you've got to have the high priest to be a legitimate king you have to have them on your side so he invites Eviatar he does not invite Sadok he doesn't invite Zadok and of course we know the rebellion of Adoniahu is defeated and so in 1 Kings 2 26 to 27 and this is homework for people to look up 1 Kings 22 26 to 27 Eviatar is banished from the priesthood to Anatot uh, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, uh, and that's in and it says it's in fulfillment of the prophecy concerning Eli or Eli that he would his line would not continue. And then, interestingly enough, we have Jeremiah, uh, hundreds of years later, the prophet Jeremiah, who is a Kohen, a priest from Anatot, and possibly, very likely, a descendant of this same Eviatar who was banished from the priesthood. In the meantime, while Jeremiah and Eviatar and their families on the outside, the line of Zadok, they are the high priests who continue uh, the line of high priests directly from Aaron, father to son, father to son, all the way through Aaron, uh, all the way from Aaron through Tzadok, and all the way down to um, the last high priest who we know about by name, who, who was the high priest at the time of uh, Alexander the Great in the 330s BCE. His name is Yadua. That's mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. Um, but we've got this line, of, this line of Zadok, and they somehow are special, this line of high priests. So there's two places that mention them in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 44.15 and 48.11. I'll read you those. From the King James, I'll read them. It says, But the priests, the Levites, the son of Zadok, that's Zadok in Hebrew, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith Lord Jehovah. Then Ezekiel 48.11, it shall be for the priests that are sanctified of the sons of Tzadok, of the sons of Zadok, which have, been, which have kept my charge, which went not astray when the children of Israel went astray as the Levites went astray. So there's something that Ezekiel's referring to that we don't exactly know about, where the Israelites and even the Levites went astray and did something wrong, but the line of Zadok, the high priest, they were loyal. And it's possible that simply... You know, the high priests in the temple continued to follow the truth while everybody else was, you know, worshiping idols and sinning. And um, although it doesn't say exactly what mm -hmm. happened, uh, what's interesting is we, we see there's this chosen family of priests, meaning you've got the Levites, and among the Levites, you've got the Kohanim. And among the Kohanim, you have the sons of Sadok, the Benet Sadok, the sons of Zadok, who are the chosen family of priests. And of course, in Second Temple times, we have a group who are called the Sadducees. And, you know, the joke is to say they were sad, you see, except Sadducees is simply the Greek pronunciation of Tzadokim in Hebrew. That's what they're called mm -hmm. in, in Jewish sources, Tzadokim, and Tzadokim are the sons of Zadok. So there was a group of priests in Second mm -hmm. Temple time who at least claimed and identified themselves to be the direct descendants of Zadok. Um, we do know in the time of Herod, the, Z the Sadducees were usurped by this group that some that sometimes are called that they're called by their enemies the the Herodians they themselves refer to themselves as the Bethusian Sadducees because they trace themselves to a to a, a high priest from Alexandria whose name was um, Bothus 
or Baitus, that's the Baitusim in Hebrew. Um, but the original Sadducees, before the time of Herod, um, and even some after the time of Herod, they were simply a direct continuation of these high priests in the time of uh, Ezekiel, and then the high priests who are mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. Mm. Wow, there amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this, and you said that they have a lot of homework. I, I didn't get yeah. a chance to give a, a, a little minute here. I want to oh, do something please. at the end, if it's okay. Go in ahead. the beginning, uh, I really appreciated the fact you're talking about the uh, Aviv search, Nehemiah. And, and one of the things that I, I, I guess that I wanted to kind of end with, this is like an overshadow of these last few verses. Yeah. And he talks about for seven days you're to provide a male goat daily for a sin offering. You're to provide a young bull and a ram from the flock, both without defect. For seven days they are to make atonement for the altar and cleanse it. Thus they will dedicate it at the end of these days from the eighth day, giving a specific number on the priest, start to present your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar. Then it has this wonderful little phrase, and I just want to say this in terms of uh, my own ministry minute. You know, the whole entire mission of Biblical Foundations Academy International, BFAinternational.com, is to inspire people around the world to build a biblical foundation for their faith. And there are so many, and again, this is why I get a little touchy, there are so many different organizations and movements that are building their faith, not on scripture, but building their faith on doctrine, building their faith on uh, tradition, building their faith on authority of man, building their faith on uh, a number of things that are mixtures of any number of, of things in the past. And what I really, really have continuously wanted to, to, to inspire people to do is to build their faith uh, based on scripture. And I'm talking about the word of God, that which has been given to us, that, you know, whether you're a person who's who started with the back of the book in the, in the New Testament, you always want to ask the question, where does this come from and what's the basis of it? In the, purpose of the, in the beginning, where does this come from and what's the basis of it? And what has been really exciting to me is to open up the scripture and to have this be the foundation uh, for my faith. At the end of this entire passage, it says, he says, he says, you shall do these things. And then it says, and I will, and I think in English, I think the word is real quickly, it says, and then I will accept you. Now, I'm going to give you one little chance to kind of do one last little thing before we do this. But what I've loved about the BFA International is for people to interact with language, history, and context, getting a chance to see information, interact with information, and, and to be able to let it be applied in their life. What I love about this last little word, I'm going to give you a chance on this last word, Nehemiah, is the last phrase. The last phrase before this last word, which is, let's see, uh, the ratziti, I will ratza. Yeah, I will. So when you hear that, give give me what, first thing that comes into your mind, I will what? Wow. Um, So it definitely means I will accept you. And it specifically is a word that appears, especially in Leviticus, in the context of Mm. God accepting our sacrifices. Um, In modern Hebrew, I should point out, uh, the word ratsa, means to want. Ratsiti is I want it. Uh, in biblical Hebrew, it doesn't. It, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, means to, uh, to want in modern Hebrew. Uh, in biblical Hebrew, the word for want, incidentally, is chafetz. Um, in, uh, in, in modern, in, sorry, in biblical Hebrew, ratsiti means I, ratsiti atchem is I accepted you. Um, and mm-hmm. the is to accept a sacrifice. 
So the reason I wanted to say this is that I, I really do believe that the opportunity that we have is, is – and this is not easy. This is not going to be easy these next couple of weeks, Nehemiah, that we're about to go into where we're going to be interacting with the word of God. That's language, history, and context, the depth and the meaning of scripture. There's going to be times where it's going to take us 30, 30, 30 40 minutes just to deal with one phrase just because it's that powerful and that amazing. Yeah. But what I love about it is how it ends because this ultimately is what I want to be about with our ministry. For those who don't know, visit BFA international.com deal with god's time guild god's torah deal with god's tetragrammaton enter the doors see what's there you can go you don't have to make any commitment to anything but there's always going to be an opportunity to to take a step further and a step further and ultimately let me just say this what i think that what we're about at bfa is to get to a place where you can make a sacrifice a sacrifice of your effort to want to understand god and his will and his way in every way that you can but at the end after all the days and the cubits and the average and the sacrifices and everything else it ends and it says <laughs> i love the way it says it says neum adonai yehovah saith if we can say english in english saith lord saith adonai lord yehovah in other words whatever has been proclaimed whether it's six or seven days whether it's cupid sacrifices whatever it is the end of the phrase the end of the section is neum adonai yehovah if he said it, he meant it, and therefore I want to live it. I want to live a life that if it's because it's something he said, I think it is a gift and a benefit to us to be able, as I say, it's not that I have to, I get to. I get to live a life that is pleasing to him, which makes me want to. You know, I, mean, it's just, I mean, because he said it. It's something that I want to do. So I know there's so much that we, we haven't gotten a chance to go into. We've already gone long enough here. I'm looking forward, Nehemiah, to be able to say, Shali, uh, my friend Nehemiah, and we're, 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 we're doing this, 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 this working together, uh, the, the, the Havruta, to be able to, to, to build and, and to challenge and to, and to sharpen, and hopefully as a result of us being together in this next May we be peacefully get there, no problems, no issues, to safely be in the same place under the same roof, opening up the word of God to find common ground. I'm really, really looking forward to that. And I hope people will continue to not only pray for us, but they will support us in every way that we can so that we can continue to do the work. I love the image that you brought earlier of the of the two tribes, to be able to bring uh, the fruit of our labor uh, to the people that they might be able to build their faith in a way that that is applicable and that is practical uh, and that's helpful to them in their life. So that's what I wanted to say. I'd like to pray if I can. I've had a, I've had Please. an extremely difficult last few weeks <laughs> uh, doing this, and, and and I really appreciate the patience. I think uh, our editor will be a lot happier this time. <laughs> we won't have as many as many things, but I would like to say a prayer if that's okay. Please. And unless there's anything else you want to say, you don't. You okay? You okay? Yep. I want to say a prayer. Father, I just want to thank you. Uh, when we hear the words, when we see the words, Neum Adonai Yehovah, it's something that you said. And what a blessing it is that we get a chance to apply and look forward to applying it in our life. We ask your blessing and protection over us as we travel from different parts of the world to be able to be at a place of common ground to open the scriptures again and to be able to share that which you give us through revelation and through study and just through practicality, being able to see the words in their language, history, and context. Bless the people as we continue to do this. In the end, we'll give you all the praise, glory, and honor for your goodness and your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to Profit Pearls with Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson. For more information, please visit nehemiaswall.com and bfainternational.com.